as daily ops were part of everyday life for the local residents. One local, however, knew exactly what was going on. Colonel Henson, M.C., retired, had phoned R.E.F. Bobmin within moments of seeing Pengeli leave the cottage, firmly clutching his daughter's arm. He'd rung the number he'd been instructed to call if he thought she was in any danger. Although he had no idea who was on the other end of the line, he delivered the single word tumbleweed before the line went dead. Forty-eight seconds later, a brace of helicopters was in the air. The commanding officer walked across to the window and watched as two Puma aircraft flew over his office and headed south. He paced around the room, checking his watch every few seconds. A man of action, he wasn't born to be a spectator, although he reluctantly accepted that at the age of thirty-nine he was too old for covert operations. They also serve who only stand and wait. When ten minutes had finally passed, he returned to the window, but it was another three minutes before he spotted a single helicopter descending through the clouds. He waited a few more seconds before he felt it was safe to uncross his fingers, because if the second one was following in its wake, it would mean the operation had failed. His instructions from London could not have been clearer, If the woman was dead, her body was to be flown to Truro and placed in a private hospital wing, where a third team already had their instructions. If she had survived, she was to be flown to London, where a fourth team would take over. The CO didn't know what their orders were, and had no idea who the woman was. That information was way above his pay grade. When the helicopter landed, the CO still didn't move. A door opened, and the lieutenant jumped out, bending double as the blades were still rotating. He ran a few yards before he stood up straight, and, seeing the colonel standing at the window, gave him a thumbs up. The CO breathed a sigh of relief, returned to his desk, and phoned the number on his notepad. It would be the second and last time he spoke to the cabinet secretary. Colonel Dawson. Good evening, Colonel, said Sir Alan. Operation Tumbleweed completed and successful, sir. Puma 1 back at base. Puma 2 on its way home. Thank you, said Sir Alan, and put the phone down. There wasn't a moment to waste. His next appointment would be turning up at any minute. As if he was a prophet, the door opened and his secretary announced, Lord Barrington. Giles, Sir Alan said, getting up from behind his desk and shaking hands with his guest. Can I offer you some tea or coffee? No, thank you, said Giles, who was only interested in one thing, finding out why the cabinet secretary had wanted to see him so urgently. Sorry to drag you out of the chamber, said Sir Alan, but I need to discuss a private matter with you on Privy Council terms. Giles hadn't heard those words since he'd been a cabinet minister, but he didn't need reminding that whatever he and Sir Alan were about to talk about could never be repeated, unless the other person present was also a privy councillor. Giles nodded, and Sir Alan said, Let me begin by saying, your wife Karen is not Pengeli's daughter. One broken window, and a moment later the six of them were inside. They didn't know exactly what they were looking for, but when they saw it, they wouldn't be in any doubt. The major in charge of the second unit known as the litter collectors, 
didn't carry a stopwatch because he wasn't in a hurry. His men had been trained to take their time and make sure they didn't miss anything. They were never given a second chance. Unlike his colleagues in Unit 1, they were dressed in tracksuits and carried large black plastic bin liners. There was one exception, number four, but then he wasn't a permanent member of their unit. The curtains were all drawn before the lights were turned on and the search could begin. The men meticulously dismantled each room, swiftly, methodically, leaving nothing to chance. Two hours later, they had filled eight plastic bags. They ignored the body that number four had placed on the carpet in the front room, although one of them did search his pockets. The last thing they went through were the three suitcases that had been left standing by the door in the hallway, a veritable treasure trove. Their contents only filled one bag, but contained more information than the other.